and welcome to Nice Jewish Fangirls, a podcast where three Orthodox women discuss all of the wonderfully nerdy things that we are obsessed with. My name is Michal Schick, and I am your host, and I'm joined by my wonderful co-hosts, Tamar Herman. Hello. And Essam Rosenberg. Hi. Later on in this episode, we are going to be joined by Catherine or Katie Locke and Laura Silverman, who are the editors and also contributors to It's a Whole Spiel. Hang on, let me pull up the whole title because it's really worth reading. Um, It's a Whole Spiel, um, Love, Latkes, and Other Jewish Stories, which is a new anthology of Jewish YA fiction that's coming out um, on September 17th. So stick around for that interview. Um, but first, as always, the three of us are going to get into our, oh my gosh, well, first we have an announcement, don't we? Oh yeah, we haven't tweeted it. I just checked, I just checked yesterday and you did not tweet it. I did not tweet it. I did not tweet it. I've been kind of like on the low key because just between, uh, you know, us and you, dear listener, um, we have some exciting changes coming at Nice Jewish Fangirls. I don't want to say too much about it right now, but, um... I think you're going to enjoy the way things are going. Um, but our announcement is that super excitingly, we have again been accepted uh, to do a panel at, Jew- at not Jewish Comic Con, at New York Comic Con um, on, why am I blanking on the dates and all like the relevant information? October uh, 6th. October 6th. Thank at you. At 4 p.m. As I had to book a flight to Israel and it's leaving at midnight. So I was checking very closely everything and we're literally again we're i believe in the same room that we were in last year also the last lot so if you don't mind sticking around we'd really love to have you or you can Uh, just show up for our panel exactly what i did last year yeah uh so that will be room 1a uh 1-8 um and we're super excited to be there again and we really really hope to see you we will of course record it um again uh if people aren't able to make it because um yeah, tickets are expensive to New York Comic Con, as my brother noticed when he was like, "Oh, I'll get you a t- I'll, I'll get a ticket. I'll show up for your panel." And it was like, "Oh, that'll be sixty dollars." Anyway, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, okay. So, but but in terms of normal business, um, yeah, we will soon be returning to a normal recording schedule and have other exciting things to discuss with you guys really soon. Current obsessions. Can I go first? Because I just can't stop talking about this thing. Sure. Okay, I'm obsessed with this lady named um, Claire Ridgway. So, to rewind the story, um, my sister Yael is a big Broadway fan, and she pointed out to me that there was a musical going around London called Six, which is basically a pop, rap, hip-hop style, um, and I say all those different things, not because they're the same, but they're all represented in the musical, um, version of the Six Wives of Henry VIII, and each wife has a song, and they, it's, it's, the music is fantastic, um, and I was like, don't, don't fall back into the Tudor rabbit hole, just don't do it, you know where this is gonna lead, and it's all depressing and sad, and you're just gonna end up watching clips of executions forever, but I did fall into that uh, <laughs> into that rabbit hole again, and this time I found a lady, uh, Claire Ridgeway, who does historical um, videos um, about the Tudor period. So that's basically from I believe King Henry the Seventh through um, Elizabeth the uh, First, and then she kind of you know blurs the line on the period uh, on either end. 
And she's a kind of historian. First of all, she has an incredible voice. I just like, I could fall asleep to her listening. I mean, to her talking about executions. It's, it's a little sad. Um, <laughs> but she's the kind of historian who will tell you when we don't know something. And like, she starts off her series on um, Mary Blinn being like, look, there's very little information on Mary Boleyn. We can extrapolate some things, and there are things that have been extrapolated that you really can't extrapolate. Um, but here's exactly what we know, and here's what you can, you know, do from there. Uh, and that's really my favorite because I I don't like. I mean, I like historical fiction, but I think you need to own up to where you're using people's lives for your own benefit and you know making your own conclusions. And um, yeah, so her her. YouTube channel is, I believe, called... Her, her website is called The Anne Boleyn Files. And um, I believe that is the name of her YouTube channel also. So I just highly recommend it. You can just fall down this history, like, amazingness with me. And, um, yeah, enjoy. <laughs> enjoy hearing about all these people died horribly. <laughs> SM, how about you? What's, what is your current obsession? Is it a little more current than my current obsession? <laughs> my current obsession is just... Historic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> historic obsession. <laughs> well, mine also involves falling down a rabbit hole. Um, and it's because in the wake of um, Avengers Endgame, I finally fell into the fanfic rabbit hole of Avengers fandom, which I had not previously been in. Like, it's been going on for 10 years, and I have not really felt compelled to read fanfic. Um, but yeah, like I've, I've been in other fandoms before. Like I was very heavy into the Glee fandom at, uh, uh, during my college years and I was very heavy into the Bones fandom. And like, I, I wrote my, uh, I wrote a 16 page research paper on fan fiction for my freshman year in college. Um, so like I am familiar with fan fiction in general, just this particular fandom hadn't spoken to me until, um, Endgame, and then, spoiler, um, Captain America's ending with Peggy Carter, and, like, you see, you just see them dancing at the end, and then it's, but it's, you know, and that's really, really sweet, but, like, I want to see that scene where they, where they meet, I want to see the looks on their faces, I want to, I want to hear what they say to each other, so I, I needed somebody to fill in the missing pieces, so I went looking for Steve Rogers' Peggy Carter, uh, fanfic, and as some people may know, uh, fanfic in general is extremely gay. Um, and so there is, you know, there is some, you know, vanilla, hetero, whatever uh, fanfic. And there was there was some some Peggy Carter, Steve Rogers fan, fanfic. Um, but there was so much more other not Peggy and Steve uh, shipping fanfic. And, like, I knew that, like, you know, Cap and Bucky, like, that's a huge ship, but I was not aware to quite, of quite the extent of the uh, Steve Tony fandom. And then I, like, once I, start, I started reading some Captain America Iron Man fanfic, I was like, this is such a fascinating dynamic, and I could not get enough. And I started reading, like, everything I could get my hands on. And then I even found, like, I was reading, like, any kind of, you know, like, 
anything that had these two characters in it. It like didn't matter what kind of alternate universe AU it was. Like, you know, there's the standard coffee shop and there's the standard flower shop and the high school and whatever, but like there's also politicians and then there's also one where Steve is an assassin and he's been hired to kill Tony and all whatever. There's just like a million of them and uh and I then I found this one. Um it was like a hundred thousand plus words long. It was the longest fic that I had ever attempted to read. It was Avengers, but fused with the Star Trek universe. So not a crossover, not like taking the actual Avengers and putting them into Star Trek as the Avengers, but just as if they had always belonged in the Star Trek universe where um, Steve is a captain and Tony is a chief engineer. And it is this beautiful, beautiful story and i read the entire thing in two days and like there there is tons and tons of plot and there are so many characters and there are such great dynamics and i just i loved it so much i started reading it again and then it occurred to me to reach out to the author um and ask them if i could record this fic um as a pod fic and they said pod yes fics are a thing Podfics are totally a thing. I knew that they existed. Um, I wasn't, like, this author is very popular in the fandom, and, like, a lot of their stuff has been podficked, but this one had not been. And so I was, like, and, and, like, there are very few things that I feel compelled to read out loud. Um, There are just certain styles that speak to me and feel like I really want to read this out loud. And... This and this author has that style, and so I was really excited when I saw that there wasn't a pod fic for it. Um, and I reached out, and they were super excited about it and really um sweet. And I told them, you know, like because it, it was broken up into six chapters, but I, I told them, like, that's that's too much for me to record at any one time, so I broke it up into basically 34, 33 or 34 of my own chapters, and like I've recorded about 12 of them now and I think I've posted about 10 of them and I'm updating on Fridays and I feel like this is like the most involved I have ever been in a single fandom like most of the time I consume and I don't give back anything because I'm a selfish greedy monster but now I am like actually actively participating and I feel really good about it and I love recording this story I just love recording it it's it's so much fun so that's my current obsession. Is your wait? Is your current obsession the fix or the recording of the? Of the- my current obsession is just the general f- fanfic fandom, which mm. includes podficking now for we me. Still, we we should do an updated fic episode. Did we ever end up doing a fic episode? Yeah, no, no, no. I'm hoping that we will. Like, I want to talk about Twitter AUs because those are huge in Ooh. K-pop. Cool. Also, yeah, there's so much. Our, yeah, it's just a thing in K-pop, so we got to discuss that. I mm-hmm. have a lot of feelings about RPF, and um, they are not all negative. A lot of them are positive. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I was thinking Katie would be a good person because it sounds like she is very into. It's familiar. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> she might know a thing or two about what was it, three hundred thousand words of Clintasha? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, had... considering the that I have what I have run into in Avengers fandom, like there are authors who have been writing for a decade and they write these huge novel length fics. Three hundred thousand words seems 
totally reasonable to me at this point. <laughs> Did I tell you guys my fate? I ha- actually haven't found a fanfic that fanfic that that does this AU, but um, I <laughs> I really want a um, an Avengers AU of Infinity War that is that takes place during the Black Death. And th- that's there has like, to be one. I can't find it. <laughs> You're just gonna have to write it. I know, but <laughs> I like. Oh, I might. I might have to write it. It's. It's just too perfect to me, and uh, that would be a probably a dad to no, like an apprentice Tony and Peter. Ah, uh, man. Anyway, where where does most um. Avengers fanfic sit because I'm going to go look. Is it AO3 or fanfic.net? Is it anything on fanfic.net anymore? I think There's so. There's lots of stuff there and people do cross post. Um, it's not as easily navigable as AO3 because the tagging is much less extensive. But it's definitely still around and still being used. I'm going to find it. There's also a lot of fic on Tumblr, from what I understand, but I don't yeah, really go time. on Tumblr very often. And that's impossible to navigate, so yeah, not not a big fan of that. But there's lots of art, too. I, I mean, there's some really, really, really good writers on Tumblr who write incredible fanfiction, but, like, please put it on AO3, because it's just... If you're not on Tumblr, which I no longer am, <laughs> it's very difficult to find, and, and I, I need the fic. Um, <laughs> Tamar, what's your current obsession? Uh, well, I just found one fic. Oh, I should have said this in the group chat, so I don't know if Facebook. I just found one fic on AO3 tagged Black Death. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's the whole uh, thing. The it whole looks life. like it's, uh, Wanda Bucky? Okay. Interesting. 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 Which is the tag? Never knew that was a thing. Uh, yep, it's Plague in the 1300s, so not, not Endgame, but okay, I'll send it. Uh, I'll keep <laughs> sending while we do this. Uh, so my, my, um, I feel like I've done this before, and it's really not okay, but it's what I'm obsessed with right now. Uh, so Great British Bake Off is back, but that's not what I'm talking about, because I've only watched one episode. You could totally it... say you're obsessed with your book. We would not hold that against you. No, I want to rip my book apart. So Great British Bake Off's new season is on Netflix, and there's a new episode every week on Netflix, so this is so much easier now. But I've been watching Great British Bake Off, the professional version, and it's so good, and it's (gasps) so different, but it's so exciting. And I really, uh, I like that there are some times when I think, oh, I feel like somebody from, like, another season could have done better than the professionals, which is very rare, but, like, they just had a challenge where they had to make croissants and another pastry in three and a half hours, and everybody messed up their croissants except one team, and that was just wild. And I was like, there definitely would be some better croissants because, like, maybe more of the home bakers would try croissants. Whatever. It's this whole thing. But it's really um, fun. I think – I don't – I think it's it's like slightly different. It has a different feel because obviously it's more of a professional thing. But at the same time they did a really good job making you like the like the like the chefs and stuff and get to know their personality just like on the original show and they get to really do all these really extravagant things. There's a slightly different format so you don't, you know, have the same uh three bakes every week you have uh, actually a four bake you have anywhere between two and four bakes every week typically but it's really good it's really interesting to me because i'm seeing which hotels 
<laughs> I don't know why they all come from hotels, but all the all the bakers come from hotels in the UK pretty much. So it's kind of fun to see which hotels are like famous for their baked goods and stuff. Uh, and I'm really excited to see who wins. I don't know who I want to win. Uh, it's just it's so much fun. I really just love Great British Bake Off so much. Like it's not okay. It is totally okay. You deserve it. It just makes me so happy because they're not fighting to beat each other. They're fighting to beat themselves. I'm I'm gonna have to look up that professional one. Also, apparently there's a junior. What? Yeah. Where? I can't look so, up. Too so much there work. was an I old. I think they were junior. planning a junior, or they're planning to bring it back. Yeah, I don't know. There's now googling it is difficult because the contestants for the real Bake Off are so young this year. They're just calling it Junior Bake Off. Why are they so young? They really are. There's too many young people. They're all very cute, and I I like them all. I I wish them all well. That's why I watch. I watch for the grandmas. I was was wondering if it's because they've had a lot of flack in the past few seasons, and they're trying to sexy it up. I was wondering that, too. Not because of grandmas, but just because it's the 10th anniversary, and they know a lot more people are going to watch. So stupid, Hollywood. Oh, back to this, um, my search for your Marvel fic. I just typed in Middle Ages and it's just a bunch of ABO, so do you want those? (laughs) Um, like, I think it's almost entirely ABO. Um, oh no, there's one, there's one that doesn't seem to be, but... You You can filter out ABO tags. Oh, can you? That's interesting to know. Yeah, they have like um, that's what AO3 is so great is you can you can exclude tags, you can add tags. It's great. Yeah, I don't think this exists, Michal. I know. Very sad. <laughs> right. It. Uh, but yeah, pretty much if you are into baking, yeah, there's not a single hashtag of bubonic plague and Avengers <laughs> all media types on. That's on so here. tragic. Uh, but yeah, if you like baked goods and you like great british bake-off and if you watched it it's a little bit similar format wise to the like the big family showdown whatever that exact title is that the bbc also did um where they had like families compete in different rounds and it works really uh oh sorry it's like the second season of that if anybody watched it but yeah i don't know i just really love watching people bake things that i'm never going to eat and be happy about it when they succeed and not be too new not be too like not not disappointed because definitely people are disappointed but i feel like when i watch something like sugar rush or something when people lose it's like oh i just lost that opportunity for ten thousand dollars and i feel bad uh, i just think oh this person's life could have changed because they got ten thousand dollars but when i watch great british bake-off and now the professionals version I, none of them are getting money from it. So they just, it's just a pride thing. And I think that kind of makes me like it more because I can cheer them on as people and not feel like I have to cheer on the person who needs the $10,000. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I I mean, uh, there's just so many reasons to love Great British Bake Off. I, my mother finally got into it. Yay! And, uh, yeah, it's the greatest because she's like catching up and she's like oh i love this person i hate this person and i'm just like "Mm, yes (laughs) and i just want to remind everyone that this started michal's obsession um started because of a fandom challenge on this here podcast we should we should do another one of those it's we should put it on the list 
was like I said, I just saw a tweet about someone who's watching Great British Bake Off right now, the new episode from today, and their, their response is, how is everyone so young? So, <laughs> there you go. I Honestly, I don't know what they were thinking. They only had, like, one guy who looked like he was remotely over, like, close to 65. Remotely. Yeah. He's good, though. You can tell yeah, he's, he's a good, good. baker. Yeah. I, yeah, it's it's it didn't stand out to me when, like, I saw the picture. I just didn't, I guess I wasn't looking at it. But then when I started to watch the episode, which I guess relevant information, if you want to watch it week by week, Netflix is actually updating it weekly on Fridays. So the episode yeah. airs Tuesday or Wednesday in the UK, I think. And, Tuesday, um, today. It was trending today. Oh, okay. I have to, like, turn off the hashtag every Tuesday. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, what cha- it, cha- it airs on PBS, right? No, it airs on Netflix. Oh, it's it's only on Netflix. Uh, it might air on PBS, but it's not airing on PBS now, to my knowledge. I think it, it gets mm. delayed. I Maybe. I don't see. know. I will Google. have to see if my, uh, my YouTube TV access can snatch it for me. YouTube TV is so cool. Um, I was going to say this because I wanted to go back to my actual obsession for a second. I do think that it's interesting how they decided to do two judges who are kind of, sorry about cursing anyone who's, I don't know, cares. Like, they're both kind of hard asses. I think definitely, like, there's none of the softness of, like, Mary Berry or or Prue. Like, they just kind of are both really tough and they know what they want. Like there are so many times when they won't even try the baked good because it's undercooked. Like they will literally just say, I'm going to get a stomach ache if I eat this. So I'm not going to eat it. It happens all the time. Like there is no room for like, let's cut off around the edges or something, which like they've definitely done on great British bake off. And I just think it's really interesting that I I know the bar is higher because they're professionals, but they somehow managed to maintain the show's uh, general feel while kind of updating it and make it not as, like, amateurish. But then they, I do think that I don't, I, I like the host, Liam, from last season, if anybody knows him. Uh, yeah, he's one of the hosts, and he's really charming, but he's really, like, I think he's kind of always like a second behind on the delivery so whenever he says something either he's like too fast and i can't miss it because something else is going on on the camera or he's like a second behind and i'm paying attention to something else so i'm just like liam you can do it i have faith in you like i'm cheering him on but uh yeah i think it's it's a really interesting like they have a i think she's japanese is one of the the judges and the other judges this french guy so it's actually like a very not british Bake off, but it's good. I like it. I really am into it. Uh, okay, so that's going to wrap up our current obsessions, and now let's head over to our interview with Catherine and Laura. Okay, we're so happy to have with us uh, Laura Silverman and Catherine Locke, who are the editors and also contributors to It's a Whole Spiel, Love, Latkes, and Other Jewish Stories, which is an anthology of Jewish YA fiction that is coming out on September 17th. So thank you guys so much for joining us. Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us. So just a little bit about the anthology. Um, The uh, introduction is written by Mayim Bialik, who I, I think I've heard of once or twice. <laughs> um, and it includes um, stories from David Levithan, Hannah Moskowitz, Nova Rensuma, Alex London, um, my awesome friend Dahlia, um, Dahlia Adler, 
and a ton of other great authors. So we're just going to start by um, putting Katie and Laura on the spot and making you guys tell us your uh, current obsessions, because that's just what we do here. Sure. Well, as this is Laura, um, and as I was just talking about, I am currently obsessed with Jane the Virgin. I watched the show for a little bit when it first came out and kind of lost track of it. And suddenly I am a week deep into this epic Netflix binge of Jane the Virgin, and I love it so much. It's just such a playful show that really keeps mixing it up every week. And I like shows that kind of break their own rules and have fun with it. Nice. Nice. And how about you, Katie? I am going to try to do this with my foster kitten chewing on my headphone <laughs> microphone. Um, that, uh, so my current obsession, other than my foster kitten, is I'm really into interior design lately. And I feel like that is a weird thing to say, but I don't watch a ton of television. Um, and this is something that's on Instagram, so I can just mindlessly scroll but I've gotten into things like where I argue with mom about like paint colors for north facing rooms. I'm like, no, no, it brings out the cool undertones. You have to have a warm white. And she's like, what happened to you? Who replaced my daughter? Um, so I've gotten really into that over the last year. And it's been a very interesting, fun, creative pursuit that is not writing. Awesome. Right. Because, of course, you guys are both authors, I should mention. Um, Katie is the author of The Girl with the Red Balloon and The Spy with the Red Balloon. And Laura is the author of Girl Out of Water and You Asked for Perfect. So two books each. I'm not at all intimidated. That's cool. It's fine. Great. (laughs) Yeah, we actually debuted together and that's how we first met. Oh, that's so awesome. That's adorable. (laughs) Well, it sounds adorable, but we did debut (laughs) leading up to the election. We debuted in 2017, but we got to know each other in 2016, which is a stressful time to get to know someone. (laughs) No, that was a pretty relaxed year. (laughs) It was super chill. My brother and his uh, now wife went out like the day after the election and... Yeah, it worked out. Oh so <laughs> that's insane. Yeah, yeah. I we um I I would say everyone had very normal online reactions to everything, and it was very easy to promote books in the way of everything. Yeah. yeah, not a problem at all. Especially talking about Jewish books or books that dealt with trauma and grief and all of that type of thing. Yeah, there were definitely no Nazi trolls and mentions ever. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. The internet is just a very understanding place. (laughs) Really laying it on thick with the sarcasm there. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay, so SM, um, why don't you get us started? Okay. Um, Well, first of all, Katie, we wanted to thank you for the shout out. We noticed, we saw um, that you uh, mentioned us in your story in the anthology. And uh, yeah, we're verklempt over that. And (laughs) We, so we may glad. have squeed about it in our uh, group chat, yeah. I'm so glad. When the interview request came through, I was like, and I definitely have an allusion to them in my story, and I'm so glad that they like the book. And yes, thank you for having me on. This is a real fangirl moment for me, too. Well, it's kind of like an inception, because it's like, we're in the story, and now you're on the podcast, and you wrote the story. So it's like, which comes first, and yeah. And, yeah, the, story was, yeah. and the story was super meta. For anyone it who's was going to read it. <laughs> really meta. Yeah, they're just layers, layers here. Like a parfait. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Like an onion. <laughs> like an 
ogre. <laughs> How did you guys get the idea for it's a whole spiel? Spiel like, did you guys pitch it? Did someone pitch you? How how did this happen? Laura, that's all you. <laughs> so um, I came up with the anthology idea. Um, recently, we've seen quite a few Jewish titles announced in Young Adult, which is amazing. But a few years ago, it was really hard to find uh, stories about Jewish teenagers, especially ones that were contemporary and ones that didn't focus on our trauma and the trauma of the Holocaust. And I was just thinking how great it would be to have a collection of Jewish teenage stories um, that had nothing to do with the Holocaust. And an anthology was kind of the perfect way to get a bunch of stories on the shelf at once. But I was overwhelmed at the thought of putting an anthology together by myself. And Katie and I had become internet friends. And (laughs) I don't know, it was just this like gut instinct that we would work really well together and it turns out that my gut was right (laughs) and I'm so thankful that Katie said yes and that everything has worked out yeah it was a really fun phone call because we were like Twitter friends but we hadn't talked in depth we hadn't DM'd a whole lot Um, and Laura just sent me a message and was like can I have your phone number I'd love to talk to you about something tonight and so I just gave it and I remember exactly where I was on my drive home when I talked, uh, when we talked, because uh, it was like one of those moments where she said, I have this idea for a Jewish anthology. And I was like, I can't believe there isn't one. And that's such a great idea. And I absolutely want to be a part of that. Um, and it, it's been an incredible process. Uh, and we worked really well together. And it was really fun. And it was really fulfilling in a way that beyond what I thought it would be. I can't believe I was like, can I have your phone number tonight? Like, we must talk now. Yeah, you were pretty (laughs) like, I thought there was kind of an emergency or something. It's like kind of that thing when you have a book idea, it suddenly feels like this miraculous thing and you have to do something about it right then or it's going to like slip away. Yeah, and we jumped in pretty quickly. You called me in early February and um, I think we had our whole list and our proposal done by the end of March and we were on submission in April. Jewish wow. Jew. He was very helpful with that. <laughs> we were like, what Jewish authors do we know? That is awesome. Um, so um, in terms of like the um, response to It's a Whole Spiel, has anyone questioned the idea of having a Jewish anthology? Like what, what have the span of reactions been like? So far, everything's been really positive um, and really welcoming. Uh, so the book's not out yet. So perhaps we get blowback later. Um, But right now, everything has been really positive and um, really appreciative of the breadth that the novel gives, like the fact that it has a a lot of representation of of different ways of being Jewish in America um, and internationally. So uh, that's been a really fun way to see different people connecting to different stories in the anthology. Yeah, and that's what we wanted. Yeah, even my, I don't think I've even told you this yet, Katie. So we each got one final copy of the book ahead of time. So we each had one hardcover and I gave mine to my Bubby for her 85th birthday. And she's been, you know, she's 85 now and she's been reading the stories. And even she was like, oh my God. And there were like these ones that like I really connected to and I could see myself in. So 
I think for all Jewish people and non-Jewish people, hopefully there's like a little something that um, they like see themselves in. That's so awesome. I, I know like I definitely felt that while I was reading it and just like there were certain like I enjoyed all the stories, but there were certain stories that were like, oh, I don't think I've ever seen this combination of experiences like this, this familiar experience like in print before. And it was just really, really cool. That's what we yeah. like to hear. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was like, there were, there were definitely stories that I related to more and related to less. Um, but that was because there is this whole spectrum of uh, experience. And like, how do you explain to people who have you run into anyone who just doesn't get why it's important to represent Jewish identity in YA fiction? Or like, has that just been like, yeah, how would you explain it to them? Well, I think we certainly got some passes on the anthology saying that the topic was too niche. And I mean, there aren't a lot of Jewish people in the world. So I mean, maybe that's like a little bit of a barrier that we experienced with it. But I mean, I think it's important for Jewish kids to have this book on the shelf, but also it's something everyone can relate to. It's a book about a bunch of like really awkward teenagers. <laughs> um, so I don't think that's niche at all. <laughs> I think that's pretty universal. And I think sometimes um, Jewish representation gets lost in a larger conversation uh, because Jewish people aren't necessarily underrepresented in publishing as an industry or necessarily authors as people, um, but Jewish stories are. So that's whenever someone says like, but I know a lot of Jewish people in publishing. I say, yes, you do. You know, a lot of Jewish authors and a lot of Jewish editors and a lot of Jewish people in publishing as an industry. But there aren't a lot of Jewish stories told by Jewish people. And so that's where the representation is really important. Yeah, it's uh, similar so, in, in movies and TV shows and everything. Exactly. There are so many actors um, and writers, but most of the stories are still fairly secular. Right. And then when we do get Jewish stories, they're told by not non-Jewish people. Um, so that happens in publishing. It happens across most mediums. So um, that's always how I have those discussions with people. I don't hear it a lot, but every now and then that comes up. And so that's how I reply to it. Mm -hmm. I was going to say before that I, I thought that the, like you were talking about how you we don't hear a lot of Jewish stories and this book was so, so good at telling different types of Jewish stories. Like, coming from a religious background I appreciated the story about like going to find the Friday night party and it was just <laughs> like here's a kumzitz and here's like I totally expected them to just be going into like a pot den but <laughs> I was like thinking back to college but and there stuff. was a twist <laughs> um and then, I know, love that story so much I Goldie is was just brilliant with that story I, I love the the footnotes and the other story that's happening so clever footnotes were so smart because because like it's told as if like you can enjoy the footnotes even if you like I was looking at the footnotes even though I knew what everything meant but I just really wanted to like read it and then you know you have your stories with the fandom stuff like it just felt like there was a whole lot of everything and I really like that because Jews and media are pretty either you're chesed or you're secular and you have no connection except a 
a menorah once a year, maybe. Um, but I guess what were uh, the inspirations for your own stories? Like, I think I can guess some of them. But in general, how did you two come up with your stories? Uh, so my story was growing up, I like went to a conservative synagogue and I was part of my Jewish youth group, USY. So I knew that I wanted to write like a youth group convention story. Cause I definitely spent a few weekends like that as a teenager. And I had the youth group go to Washington DC and the idea just kind of hit me from there that my character was going to run into a gun reform protest. Uh, actually, though, the first time I wrote this story and the first few drafts of it, this was uh, before the Pittsburgh and the Tree of Life shooting. And so I wrote the story about a teenager caring about gun control because, you know, it's something that's affecting everyone all over the country. But the last chance I had to make edits to the book, the Tree of Life shooting had happened then. And I realized that this Jewish teenager would be even that much more personally connected to gun violence at that point. And so I was able to slip in some changes at the last minute. Um, it's strange how quickly it changed, though, and how fast I think things are changing for Jewish people in 2018 and 2019 now. Can I, <laughs> sorry, I was going to ask, can, do you like know offhand any of the changes you made? Was there anything really big that stood out to you? It was um, more bringing out like the emotional connection um, and the personal connection to the gun violence in the beginning. Um, it's kind of spoilers, but it's not really spoilers. In the beginning, <laughs> she decides to go to a uh, protest for gun reform, I think, because her cousin had experienced a gun scare um, at her high school. And I think that was the personal connection to it. But then there's this added layer now that her own community um, has been affected by this violence. And so it, you know, gave it a deeper meaning for her. And that was a pretty late change. The ARC does not have that. The advanced review copy doesn't have it, but the final copy oh. does have that change. Oh, okay, because um, I was wondering. I was uh, uh, yeah. just reading it, and I was like, wait, I don't remember that. And I was reading yeah. quickly because I was trying to skim before we got on the call. But It was, but it was literally like, oh, like the last possible minute because all of our ARC changes were in in like September. And wow. then, yeah, so they used the draft from September for ARCs, and um, Laura had to stick that in at the last minute. Amazing. And how about you? My story is about two teens who are best friends online and enemies in real life, but they don't know that they're best friends online. Um, that's a trope that I love, and I knew that I wanted to do that, but I couldn't quite figure out the structure for it. It took me a long time to crack it, uh, and when I realized I needed to write it as like a fan fiction... Um, it came really quickly, but it was enormously large. It was so large, like Laura kept laughing at me because I was like, is 12,000 words still a short story? And she was like, no, it's not. <laughs> um, and every time another, <laughs> and every time an author would turn in a story and they'd be like under word count, I'd be like, their extra words are mine. And our editor was like, that's not how that works. <laughs> um, so I definitely have the longest in the book, but uh, I knew that I wanted to do fan fiction. Um, I knew I wanted that particular trope in there. And once I had that, Gabe came 
pretty quickly to me. I had his voice in my head really strong from the start and needed to flesh out um, like what happened between him and his friend. And it might be long, but it really doesn't feel long at all. It is one of my favorite stories in the anthology. It's like so delightful. I want to read an entire book of Katie doing fan fiction. <laughs> I wanted There's to read the fan that are referenced. I was about to say, wait. <laughs> yeah, I'm very upset that Milk and Honey does not That's exist. That's what I was about to say. <laughs> If I knew code, I want to read the Quintasha fic. I want to read the Quintasha fic in Israel. Okay, I've written 300,000 words of Quintasha fic. Oh my Uh, god. (laughs) Yeah. So. 300,000? 300,000. Yeah. It's embarrassing. That Uh, is a lot of incredible words. Incredible and so many books of Quintasha fan fiction. (laughs) (laughs) Is any of it in Israel? Please tell me yes. One is in Israel, but only for like a chapter, so not okay. too long. Sorry, <laughs> um, but I hadn't. I went to Israel for the first time this past February, so now I think I could write something oh. set in Israel. Um, but I had not been before. Um, but yeah, I also wish that Milk and Honey was real. So if anybody knows how to do websites and coding and that type of thing, contact me. I I want to make it a reality, but I don't know how to do it. Yes, we want an all Jewish fan fiction website just yes i had i had somebody ask me because i was um i was reading like jewish bucky barn fiction uh fic on at some point i love jewish bucky oh my god is the best it's like it makes me cry every single time and somebody tweeted me and he was like oh since when is bucky jewish and i was like since we decided he was jewish it doesn't matter (laughs) exactly That's what fan fiction is for. Exactly. Like, that's literally why it exists, is to reinvent the canon the way that we want to reinvent it. And his parents so, were totally yeah. Jewish immigrants, and they were from Germany, and they were totally assimilated, because that's what they did back then with from Germany. Yeah. And he did, that's how we met Stim. That's the whole thing. <laughs> I accept this. I I mean, the, way my, the way my brain works is just that Sebastian Stan played Jonathan in the show Kings, so he's basically <laughs> a biblical character, so any character he plays is now Jewish. It works. It's fine. I'm just like, they're Head from New York. Accepted. They're either yeah. Irish or Jews. Like, it's one or the other. Yeah, I accept um, this. Um, so, in terms of, um, you know, writing Jewish stories, um, it can be hard to to nail down like what makes a story Jewish, what makes a a character Jewish. Um, How did you guys approach that? Did you like give your authors any direction or were you just, you know, were you just kind of like go, go with your, your Judar and like decide how to, how to proceed? I've never heard of Judar. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's, that's what I like to call like the little shadow that guys like sometimes guys get on their heads and you're like, wait, is that a Kipa? No, it's not. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, like, I guess if you bagel someone, your Judar's going off, right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I don't know. Um, what, what direction did we give them? Well, so we asked that they wrote um, own voices stories. So, you know, if they were a modern Orthodox Jew to please write a modern Orthodox Jewish character. Um, and we asked that the story have something to do with Judaism, but it didn't have to completely well, the plot didn't have to like revolve around them questioning their Judaism although that was like you know very much welcome 
was it um, strictly fiction or was there some memoir in there? Because there are a lot of first person stories. And at first I didn't realize always, you know, that the that they were character voices and not the author voice like David Levithan's in particular. Like, I don't know if that's fiction or if it's real. That's the beauty of that story. But uh, when we got it in, we actually had the same question where we had to reach out and be like, is is this fiction? Uh, and it is fiction. Um, but it, it feels so personal and so it's immediate. So uh, yeah, it's so raw. It has some of my favorite lines um, that kind of like were sucker punch to the gut. Um, yeah, so th- that one definitely feels like memoir, but it is fiction. Um, and I think I think that's what makes that story work so well. Oh, gosh, kitten. <laughs> it's yeah, okay. After I finished that story, I had to I, I kind of had to put the book down and lie down for a little while because I was just yeah. like, I was heartbroken. It was devastating. Yeah. I think that um, I've said this a couple of times, so I, I apologize if I already said it tonight, but um, I have never felt so Jewish and so not Jewish enough while editing this anthology. Uh, it was like a really interesting experience because I kept having to G-chat Dahlia and be like, explain this to me because I don't, don't know anything about this and so-and-so's story. Um, and then there are other ones that I was like, oh, I didn't even know that's how I felt until that author put words to my feelings. It really was incredible. And we were talking about David's story and even though uh, my life is so different from that character. It was the story that resonated with me the most about my own Jewish experience. Like there was this one thing I think he mentioned having that like great Jewish athletes book. Uh, on. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh my God, I grew up with that book. We all have that book. And yeah, Sandy Koufax and Hank Greenberg and like nobody else. Speak <laughs> for yourself. You Mark Spitz. <laughs> and there were just so many pieces in there about like how his family observed Judaism that just mirrored exactly my own experiences. And then like Katie said, there were stories that were, you know, maybe a little out of my depth um, or, you know, things that I maybe related to my Orthodox grandparents. And then there were stories that I wish I had read growing up. I wish I had read more of the reformed Jewish experience or read about characters feeling not Jewish enough. Like Lance Rubin's story, um, Chewbacca. Mm, that was so funny. It was so oh funny. Oh my god, it was so awkward. But I was, it was cringing, so... but like in the in a good way. Yeah, but it was so hard to edit because I had so much secondhand embarrassment <laughs> that I like couldn't scroll and I was like, Katie, you have to edit the book. Like you have to keep editing. You can't just be reading this. But it, it felt so real because I didn't grow up in a super observant household and um I definitely winged things and made stuff up to like try to perform Judaism um, as a kid. And that just resonated so much. And it, that story, I was like, that was so me. And also I never, ever, ever want to feel like that again. Um, so I really loved that one. It's also just like moment of appreciation for the title Jubaka. Yes. <laughs> That's Laura's favorite title for sure. Oh, I- <laughs> it's it's also know. just a really like empathy building I think anthology because at least for me you know like because I feel like nobody like you know people know obviously Jew, Jews know about other Jewish experiences but like there's something about 
reading a kid and remembering where you were at that same age and or you know being that same age um for the for the target audience who i guess is the people who are supposed to read YA. Um, and, Everybody's uh, supposed to read YA. Yeah, that's true. Everyone reads YA, and that's a wonderful thing. Um, but, yeah, I just felt like there were things, you know, from a reform perspective that I, like, never thought of before. Or, you know, uh, like, I've never been on a birthright trip, and there are a couple of birthright trips in the book. And I, it was, like, really cool to see each of those individual um you know, not always necessarily a letter, like to the letter realistic, maybe, but um, like really fun interpretations of, of what you would feel like. Um, yeah, so I, I definitely came out of it feeling very like, oh, we're all Jewish. It's all good. Yay. <laughs> yeah. And Dahlia is one of my best friends. And I came away out of her story feeling like I had gotten a window into my best friend in a way that I wouldn't have any other way um and that was a really cool experience too uh, i don't think that different denominations of judaism and different communities always interact well together in real life and uh, one of the things that we wanted to do with this anthology is to build that bridge and to make that one common jewish experience uh, or to to show that we we're all jewish we we do share things and this is a um, there are more bridges between us than there are canyons. Uh, did I have? A, did anyone not Jewish read it yet? I'm sure. There are definitely a couple of reviews that are like, "I'm not Jewish, but I really enjoyed this book and I learned a lot." And a couple yeah. of reviews that are like, "I'm not Jewish. I wish there was a glossary." So the glossary thing actually came up and we nixed the glossary pretty quickly. Um, but there, there are a couple of people who are like, I'm not Jewish and I wish there was a glossary. So oh, they, should yeah. just, they should Google. just stick with Goldie's Google story. is a thing. <laughs> yeah. But, but there, are, there have been people who are like, I'm not Jewish and I learned a lot and I really enjoyed this. And um, they connect on the, like the, what Laura was saying earlier, the awkward teenage experience is pretty common through all of those stories we got uh, through all of our experience something i can't remember what it said some so cringeworthy yeah and that's exactly what i want my contemporary ya to be oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, i haven't finished it yet i've been kind of crazy this week and uh, but from the few stories i have read it seems like there's a lot of queer representation in, in the fic which is very representative of like ya representation so totally not unexpected from my viewpoint as someone who interacts with like fandom and ya spaces a lot but was that a concern of yours that this is supposed to be like a bridge building thing but in the orthodox community at least that's something that could maybe potentially turn people off and maybe like was that a thought of yours ever or something? Because I know, like, my sister will definitely not let her daughter who goes to Basiakov read this. So that was a concern. Um, it's something that came up, but it's also something that we felt like we couldn't invite um, queer authors to write for it and tell them they couldn't write queer stories. Oh, no, definitely um, not. But and as a queer author myself, I wouldn't have ever wanted to be a part of that. But um, it came up and we know that this won't get into some communities because of it. Um, and it won't get into some 
like secular libraries unrelated to the Jewish community because of it, right? This is an issue that happens with queer literature across the board, um, not just in Jewish spaces. Um, so we were aware of it, but we also felt like it was really important for those kids who needed that representation to get that representation and that that outweighed not getting into certain places. Good. Well, yeah. I think it's fabulous, but I was just curious. Yeah, about and it's really... Sorry, I was just thinking that it's just it's so sad that um, the people often who most need to read these stories are the ones who are barred from reading these stories. Not to name names, but I was wondering if like my <laughs> elementary school would even consider uh, like reading this with students. And I kind of feel like the answer is no, although my high school, I think, would. So that was kind of a ray of hope. On a lighter note, sort of. <laughs> um, um, I'm wondering, like, which stories, like, not to ask you to, like, pick a favorite, but, like, were there stories that, <laughs> or, or, or to, like, phrase it, um, you know, which stories, like, were you, like, had, had you not expected to connect with and that became, like, unexpected favorites? I am thinking about it for a second, if you know right away. Uh, I already mentioned Dahlia's. Dahlia's story was one that really surprised me and how much I connected to it and how much uh, I really felt for the main character and her frustration and embarrassment and confusion. Um, that one really hit me hard. And um, Ellie's. Ellie's story came the farthest it started out with like a science fiction element and then we were like we're a contemporary ish anthology um and his edits to it were just uh really powerful and i i ended up really thinking about that story long long after i read it I, yeah i really loved ellie's as well i love that um i think we mentioned that there are a couple stories that have to do with birthright in Israel. And I love that Ellie's story is based in Israel um, because I think it's something that the anthology needs because we are trying to represent Jewish life um, and it would be untrue of us not to include those stories. And he handled it just so beautifully. And I also really loved Anna Moskowitz's story. It's just like, Oh my God, we were talking about the lines and David Levithan's story, but Hannah's as well just had so many lines that just punch you in the gut and stay with you for a long time. And the Israel rep was another discussion that we had because in Jewish spaces, this probably doesn't seem like a big deal, but in YA spaces, we were really concerned about whether or not we should include Israel and whether we would let people write about Israel. Um, which was a a really uncomfortable like thought process to go through because I think that there are people in the YA book community that won't be as accepting of it because there are three Israel stories, two in Dana's, which is coming back from Israel. So yeah, that was a that was another thing we didn't think about until we got into the story ideas. Yeah, that's really interesting. I I. I feel like it wouldn't have been complete without Israel's stories. I mean, like, I, I mean, just from my perspective, like, it's weird how 
like, you know, just, just thinking of the anthology, I feel like I would have felt like there was a, a, a gap if there hadn't been somebody's experience in, like, actively in Israel. Um, and they're both such, I think, delicately handled stories. It's not like, hey, look how amazing everything is. It's just kind of like, here's what it's like when you go to Israel. It's like, sometimes you get drunk and hook up with people, and other times you swimming in Getty and it's fun, you know, and you overcome personal trauma as a bonus. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I enjoy, I enjoyed that element a lot. And I think it was, I think it makes the whole book richer and I hope it makes people think, you know, like even if they disagree, it, it would, I think maybe part of the, the, the burden and the opportunity of, of something like it's a whole spiel is to, I guess, present things from a perspective without, like, apologizing for that perspective, if that makes sense. That makes total sense. And it's a really good phrase that I'm going to definitely steal for Tor. Thank you very much. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah, and I think it just, you know, like, in in any situation where there is nuance, it's important to have stories that are that are just bringing more dimension to it rather than just the same political talking points that we hear all the time. Yeah. Cause that's not about human beings. You know, I think that's a big gap in the, the issue. Like nobody's what you get on Twitter is not about human people. It's, you know, it's just about politics and um, yeah. Um, I wanted to ask, um, do you think it's a whole spiel might lead to more YA fiction? Um, I know you guys mentioned that there, and there definitely has been um, an increase um, in that, in that area. Um, shout out to, it's not YA, but I have to mention it because I have to mention it. Spinning Silver by Naomi Novik, my favorite book ever. I love that book uh, so much. It's I, physically painful. I just read that book pretty recently and it, absolutely blew my mind oh like oh my god it was so good yeah I, I could not physically handle how good that book was yeah it's it's like upsetting it's, it's so good <laughs> um but as you know two people who work in the in the industry and you know who work on your own fiction do you see this maybe becoming more of a a, a, a less unusual occurrence I'm definitely seeing like a boon of Jewish YA literature I think like Katie mentioned, there are actually quite a lot of Jewish young adult authors. And I think a lot of us have realized that we can actually start writing some of our own stories and putting piece of like little pieces of ourselves into the narrative. So, I mean, I definitely going forward am basically writing all Jewish characters and I can't see why I would stop that. And it doesn't necessarily meet the or being centered about Judaism, but just having that representation in other stories. And I think this is a good opportunity to shout out Rachel and Solomon, who's one of our contributors, um, who... Love her. Oh my yes. gosh, so cute. It is really cute. And um, both of her young adult contemporary books um, touch on Judaism, um, uh, Natalie Blitz, The Truth About Leaving, this that came out this past spring. Um, this fall, we have Anya and the Dragon. We're seeing a lot of Jewish young adult literature that isn't 
centered on the years 1932 to 1945. Um, and I say that as somebody who's now written two books, there, right? So, um, but it's been really great to see that uh, that editors are buying them and that people are buying them. So I just hope that that continues. Um, and several of our contributors, their spiel story is the first one that they've written with a Jewish main character. And um, that was a powerful experience for several of them. And they've said that they want to start introducing that into their longer fiction as well. And so we look forward to that. That is really awesome. Um, I think we have to wrap up now, but um, are there any other like thoughts, promotions where people can find you on the internet that um, people should know about? Well, uh, if you, I don't know, when is this podcast coming out? I was going to say, if you happen to be in the New York area, we are going to have a launch party at Books of Wonder on September 17th. Oh my gosh, that's so exciting. And if yeah, you, this episode will hopefully be out by then. Yes. Okay, great. And if you can't be there, um, you should be able to then order, we'll sign some stock. You should be able to order some signed copies from Books of Wonder. Is there going to be an audiobook? Because I feel like so many of these stories have such great voices that it would really work as audio. We would love an audiobook. Uh, it's a little kind of out of the author's hands if audio rights are going to sell, but keeping fingers and toes crossed. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck. I might just read yes. Goldie's story and like share it in private groups just because I like <laughs> it so much. Let us know when you figure out how to do the footnotes as an audio. Oh, I have ideas. I have ideas. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> um, Laura said everything about our launch party. Thank you for having us on. Um, I can share my social with the forewarning that I swear a lot on my social media. Oh, that's So okay. people should be prepared yeah. for that. <laughs> um, I am at Bibliogato, B-I-B-L-I-O-G-A-T-O. And uh, CatherineLockbooks.com. And I am at LJSilverman1 and LauraSilvermanWrites.com. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us. This was really fun and enlightening. And um, yeah, again, It's a Whole Spiel comes out on September 17th. So um, pre-order your copies, people. Or if it's already out when you're listening to this, go buy it because it's really, really worth your time. Catherine and Laura, thank you so much for joining us. Have a good night. Thanks thank you. Thank you. Okay, so that is all for this episode of Nice Jewish Fangirls. Um, if you want to find us on the internet, you can find us on Twitter at Jewish Fangirls. We're on Facebook, Nice Jewish Fangirls. You can email us. We love getting emails at NiceJewishFangirls at gmail.com. And of course, you can also leave us an iTunes review. Um, or what, what's it called now? Uh, Apple Podcasts. It's no longer called oh, iTunes. Right, they changed it. Yeah, yeah. So whatever. I listen. I listen to all my podcasts on Podcast Addict. So I don't know anything about this stuff. And review us there also, and anywhere you find our podcast. Really, I mean that's just a good thing to do. And um, if you want to let us know, also because we can't check every single one. So, but but we need your praise, and we like it very much. So. <laughs> Um, if you would like to find Tamar on the internet, you can. You can find me on Twitter at Tamar Writes and my work at Billboard 
sometimes Forbes, and maybe a book coming out if I ever finish writing it. So that'll be exciting if I don't get killed for it. It'll be great. We should have you on as like an interview guest. We should do that whole shtick. Like, yeah, you guys would love me talking about BTS for like a half hour. No, no I don't. Yes. Do, I don't. Yes. I don't. I don't do. I don't do podcast interviews about BTS anymore because I end up with death threats. So oh God, don't do that. <laughs> like, no. Well, Sam, where can people find you on the internet? <laughs> Yes, on a less depressing note, um, people can find me on Facebook and follow my public posts there, and you can find uh, and buy my fiction um, on Amazon.com at Amazon.com slash author slash SM Rosenberg. Um, don't th- think that any of it is particularly Jewish, but it is YA, um, and yeah, so if you like that, go for it. Awesome. And you can find me on Twitter at Ink As Rain, and you can find my writing at hypable.com. So that is all for now, and we really look forward to speaking to you all again really soon. Uh, live long and prosper, everyone. By the way, do you guys pronounce it spiel or spiel? Because I pronounce We've been it pronouncing spiel. it. We've been pronouncing it spiel, but there was a big debate over how to actually yeah. spell the title. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, we pronounce it. It's a whole spiel. Okay, that's me too.